0: The to of It podcast. Today we're doing something a little bit different, and our new co host Megan, who will be joining us every few episodes, is going to be interviewing me. I just thought that since I'm here talking to you guys and the guests all the time, that maybe you should get to know me a little bit better, so that's what we're doing today. This episode is also the last before we go on a little mid year break, but don't worry, we'll be back in early June, and I already have a bunch of amazing guests lined up for you. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'll speak to you soon. Hello. Hey, how you been? <laughs> uh yeah, I'm sick at the moment again. It's what May, and I've been had a cold like twice already. Oh, uh, like, yet
1: we've we're all sick at the household here too. i have more flare up side at the moment. Um, but yeah. yeah, Chris has copped it. He was sick with the flu, and then got better and then went out for his bucks party and it was his birthday yesterday and he was sick as a dog poor bugger
0: so yeah yeah I feel like it's going around and I just my immune system's terrible I just always get it if you got it I'm gonna gonna get it
1: sharing the love in a different way not the way we want (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) um okay
1: so I guess we'll jump into it then are you excited
0: um, I feel, I don't know, I th- I'm a bit of a control freak, so I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I am, but I don't know, I don't like letting go control that much. <laughs> well, we've got some good questions prepared, so yeah. she'll see how we go. I...
1: So first of all, obviously, you run the podcast mm. and this is your first time in the question answering seat. Yes. Um, obviously, you just said you're a little bit... Um, not concerned I suppose isn't the word but
0: no I guess anxious
1: about how we might roll
0: yeah I just think um well I've never really done an interview before I did a project with Queensland Health which was a video interview but that was a bit different that was very targeted um and other than that like I've you know I've never been on another podcast or anything like that except my own so I guess I've just never done it before really First
1: time for everything. So I guess let's let's dive in. So you've given me a little bit of information about yourself already, but tell us more about your diagnoses, your journey to getting those diagnoses, um, and let's start with that.
0: Yeah, so I have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS, which is a genetic connective tissue disorder. So I was born with that. Um, And I also have fibromyalgia, which is what I was diagnosed with first. That started when I was about 20 and I got diagnosed by a couple doctors, a GP and a rheumatologist, but I just kind of ignored it because I knew that it fit technically fit, but it didn't fit because I hadn't been diagnosed with EDS yet. So I was like, yeah, that makes sense for about 5% of my symptoms but that doesn't really actually make sense so I just kind of ignored it until I got diagnosed with EDS and then was like okay so I have EDS and fibromyalgia because they're quite common to have together mm. um the EDS journey was was fine I got diagnosed when I was 22 um I've always been being sick my whole life but I've never really actively sought a diagnosis I suppose no doctors ever thought about trying to give me one I guess it was always just his individual symptoms we treat that like you have surgeries to treat that symptom that's fine but no doctor was ever like maybe you have something which I feel like doesn't really make any sense I feel like a lot of doctors have that approach though they sort yeah. of
1: go tick and flick your sit your your results are fine there's nothing wrong and it's like magically all of your symptoms disappear with that reassurance when they yeah. don't and it just makes it harder.
0: Yeah, so it's just like, okay, there's a symptom that's treated or we figure that out, then another symptom pops up, we'll f- treat that and figure that out. I was diagnosed, I mean, I don't know if you technically did get diagnosed, but I was diagnosed as hypermobile from a very young age in my whole body, um, which... In the last few years, I feel like it should have been a red flag because, you know, if anyone told me they were hypermobile in their entire body and they had other medical conditions, I would be like, well, you probably have EDS or HSD, hypermobility spectrum disorder. But back then, I understand, like, obviously the research wasn't there. And it wasn't until like a few years ago, I did realize that other illnesses come with hypermobility. Like I was just thought I was hypermobile. And that was it, like I was just. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's the thing, though. Like I actually learned the same thing recently. Um, I'm going through additional diagnosis myself, mm. and my occupational therapist straight up asked me if I'd investigated EDS, and I just said, yeah. "No. Like I don't know. I don't think I fit the criteria." Um, And then she mentioned that the hypermobility can come on a spectrum um, and it overlaps with so many other issues. And like you, I have fibromyalgia um, and going through all that sort of stuff and breaking it down. So it can be really hard to sort of determine what symptom lines up with what and what's actually the root cause of those things.
0: Yeah. Like normally with hypermobility, you know, you can get hypermobile if you say you're a dancer or you're a, tennis player but that's normally in specific parts of your body and specific joints if someone like says to me that they're hypermobile in their entire body and they have other medical conditions going on like that's a r- big red flag to me and yeah like the step down from hypermobile EDS is hypermobile oh my goodness i can't speak hypermobility <laughs> spectrum disorder um which yeah, it's, they're quite similar. It's basically the step down a EDS.
1: Yeah. And I guess, how do you go, you know, managing both of those conditions? They're so different, but have a lot in common with each other. And I can understand how the chronic fatigue associated can really wipe you. How do you manage? What do you do on a day-to-day?
0: Um, I try. I'm not the best <laughs> at managing my health. I feel like it's been only the past few years. Like I really do think I was just like the treat the symptom and that's it. And it wasn't until I got the diagnosis of EDS that I started doing other things. I think seeing specialists has probably been one of the biggest things. Like I have been really bad at seeing her lately, but going to the physio, um, you know, we don't do any exercises or anything. She literally just loosens off my joints because basically every joint in my body is tight (laughs) I haven't found an area of my body that is not tight and with time that causes like increased pain and can cause problems um so I literally just go to her and she basically gives me like a really painful massage um (laughs) it is very painful
1: when you get someone who's good though and and knows what they're doing especially with your fibromyalgia and your muscles oh my gosh it hurts so bad but then you feel so much better for yeah. at least a day or two afterwards
0: yeah my yeah my flexibility because you know technically everyone always thinks with hypermobility mobility or IDS, you're super flexible and that's super like that is true I used to be very flexible but it, most people go through that stiffness phase and I kind of went through that like probably in my early 20s so now my joints are very stiff so I'll go see her and all of a sudden I'm like super flexible after a 30 minute like appointment just because of that loosening off my joints.
1: Do you find that um, you know, maintaining movement is a big core player um in in, in improving and, and sustaining your ongoing wellness with those conditions?
0: Yeah, I do. Um like I, you know, anyone who follows me on Instagram knows that I like to hang around on hoops and poles. Um, yeah, I do think movement is a big player. I notice that my joints are stiffer if I'm not moving very much, um, which can be hard obviously because, you know, fatigue and energy levels, sometimes you're just not going to, you don't have the energy to do that. It's a hard
1: gamble sometimes yeah. to play it off because you're trading sometimes tomorrow's energy yeah. for loosening up those joints and muscles that keep you mobile, keep you moving, um which you know, if you do that enough times over a course of your life, uh especially in the space of a few weeks or days, you end up with a couple of days there each each month where you're just flat because you've used all of your energy and borrowed all of tomorrow's energy too many times.
0: Yeah, physical activity I think is my biggest hate when it comes to EDS and everything because I do really like doing aerials and dance and pole and everything but my muscle gain is like it's like almost impossible for me to gain muscle and I lose it straight away my fatigue levels like you know there'll be a month where I'll do like four classes five classes a week and then I do like one in three weeks like it's just not consistent. (laughs) Yeah, it catches uh, up. Yeah.
1: But it's great. I think that you're even taking the initiative to go and do that for yourself, because I know there are so many people struggling with these conditions who can't find the energy to go and do those sorts of activities, or even just doing a walk around the block is, is challenged, not just physically, but mentally, knowing that you're about to exert that energy, borrow tomorrow's energy and the payment that you're going to have to to give to do that. I, I think that's that's really brave as well. And it's excellent that you're taking that to opportunity to to push yourself.
0: Thank you. I try. It hurts, but um <laughs> <laughs> I try. Oh, it,
1: sometimes you think about these things. It's just like existence is pain. Like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> Bring I, it on. Ugh,
0: like the last like couple of weeks, I'm like, honestly, I barely left my house. What is it? It's a long weekend. I've had two days off work. I left my house like one day. <laughs> I think out of yeah. the time. Oh, it gets like that. Like
1: I had my my bridal shower on Saturday and it only went for a few hours. And I went into flare up after and I'm on day 3 or 4 and my leg everything is still swollen and sore and like I all I did was like sit and stand and talk for a few hours yeah. it wasn't like I ran around or did anything crazy like it's it's crazy how much little things can add up and really impact your body
0: yeah yeah i think that's what people don't understand like when it comes to working from home like with it for example for a job people are like well if you're sick you can't work from home. It's the same as working from the office. It's like, yeah, well, I don't have to get up as early. I don't have to get ready. I don't have to drive or catch the bus there. Like, so that's a lot All the more the stress energy. of the commute. Like, it's just a lot more energy safe. So it's like, yes, technically, I'm not well enough to come into the office, but I would be well enough to work from home. But, like, regular people don't really understand that.
1: They, they don't. And I think the other thing, too, and when you work from home, you do also have the flexibility to work where you're comfortable. Yeah. Like, obviously ergonomic support and a correct setup is always important. But I don't know about you. There are some days where I wake up and everything hurts and my brain is working, but I can't physically get myself to sit up at a desk for an eight hour day. And I will just comfy in bed, laptop on my lap and I can work from bed those days.
0: Literally, I work like when I do stuff like the podcast or unless it's editing, I literally do everything from the couch. Sometimes it's just easier that way. I don't want to sit, I have a desk, I don't want to sit at it. I'd rather sit at the couch. Yeah, look, honestly, with
1: these types of things, whatever can get you comfortable and productive is a win, mm-hmm. you know, we all need little yeah. supports and helps from time to time. And, and on that note, have you ever needed to use any supports or services or anything in particular to sort of help you with your day to day? Um,
0: Not really like obviously, I see doctors, I see specialists, I see a physio, I see a dietitian. Um, I've never had to use like any mobility aids. I take like ten vitamins a day at the moment. Um, and I guess the main thing was medication. Um, up until a few months ago, I was on amitriptyline for migraines and well it, I was put on it for migraines but it also helped with the fibromyalgia pain and I recently went off that um, because my doctor was a bit concerned about being me being medicated for so long <laughs> without being off it I think that was like such a big help at the time Um, and I do mm-hmm. take medication at the moment for OCD but other than that I think it's just like general Seeing doctors, specialists—like there's nothing particular that I've had to rely on. If that makes sense. Well, that's
1: that's a good thing, I suppose. Yeah. And you know, you've got a really good community and network around you. So heaven forbid the day ever came where you needed that, but you'd be able to tap in for support, I'm sure. And you mentioned then OCD. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, that's not really what I talked about before. I'm really bad at talking about mental health. <laughs> Um, I don't talk too much about OCD because I don't, I'm not as much of, not as knowledgeable on it as like EDS, fibromyalgia, and it's more of like a newer thing. Um, but like, I do have OCD and I have had it for, God, probably, I don't even know how long, for ages, but, um, yeah, it's not something I can talk about too much because I just, it is still like quite a new thing.
1: Yeah, New diagnosis. And, and I think too, there's a lot of challenges tied to OCD because it's such a throwaway comment that yeah. people make. It's like, oh my gosh, it's my OCD. Like I'm just so anal on this, but like, it's not like that. It's such... Um, a much bigger thing and the way that it can impact people varies as well would you say you know we don't have to dive directly into this if you're not comfortable but would you say that you have very severe OCD or uh what what sort of level do you feel that you're at how does it impact you I
0: think it's moderate I take Lexapro at the moment um at like quite a low dose and that like affects it like that makes it a bit better so I don't know. I think I have lived with it for a very long time that I'm not always like the best judge of like how bad my mental health is. I think at the moment it's like probably a bit below moderate. Like it it does take a lot of like time throughout my day, particularly like before I leave the house, before I go to bed, like I like to check things a lot. Um, But yeah, like there was a point last year it wasn't that great but that's when I went off the amitripline and they were trying me on a different medication I think just the medication changeovers because they're like quite heavy medications Mm -hmm. like antidepressants were just kind of like messing with me a bit but I'd say like on the Lexapro yeah it's like a bit like less severe like below moderate.
1: And so does it impact you mostly in the way where as you said it's sort of like you have to double check, triple check that the lights are off or that you've turned off appliances or different things before bed or you leave the house. Is that the main way that it sort of impacts you or is it in other parts of your life as well? Do you find?
0: Yeah, that's a big thing is like the checking. I think, um, yeah, what people need to understand about OCD is it's a obsession and a compulsion. So you do compulsions like checking because there's obsessions and those obsessions could be that you're in danger or I mean they can literally be anything they're basically intrusive thoughts Um, I think the thing that makes OCD so complicated is there's like many different types of OCD and they all overlap you can have multiple like there's contamination OCD there's checking OCD there's relationship OCD you can basically have OCD about anything and they're all different types but you can have like multiple so it kind of makes it hard to be like this is what OCD is because it's not it's like very different for everyone like there's not a one thing
1: Mm, it does make it difficult and I guess as well like being recently diagnosed I guess wrapping your head around what that means and and how that can sort of be treated and where you can identify those patterns that must be difficult to wrap your head around
0: yeah it's a bit of like a I guess a light bulb moment like when you realize like like the thoughts you have like they're not really normal like the or like oh yeah that right that's OCD okay (laughs) it's just kind of like I guess it's something I'm used to and then I'm like oh mate that's yeah that's that
1: (laughs) I guess it'll be like a process now too of identifying in your day-to-day as well where if you get into like a cycle because do you find that it makes you quite anxious or like on your edge of your seat when you get into those sorts of 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 loops or or thought processes Yeah, I
0: would say that like OCD and like is an kind of anxiety induced like mental illness and I think like that's why I didn't know I had it for so long because I think for a lot of people it could be mistaken as anxiety um and yeah I think once you like if you feed into the compulsion too much then it becomes like you start feeding into the compulsion more um if that makes sense like it can be hard like yeah sometimes over in my house like 10 times checking everything <laughs> I'm like okay I already did nine times I don't need to do like a 10th time how do you go with that
1: on days when, say, you're in flare-up with with your other conditions and you're feeling those compulsions to check, how do you cope with that?
0: I don't really think of them as kind of, like, overlapping. I don't know. Like, I guess they're just two different things. I think it's actually better sometimes if I'm really tired or sick because I'm like, I actually can't be bothered to check. Like, if I die, I die again. I it stops someone, you someone yeah you're in. like the serial killer's gonna yeah, find I'm their like, way in the door's I'm not like, locked I'm in bed I, I'm my gonna friend. get up again like I don't care anymore <laughs> um you, you know.
1: I can imagine though if you are feeling that though when you're in one of those days when you are feeling really sick that could be really taxing mentally for you
0: yeah I'm I think I got in a good habit of just ignoring my mental health so I don't really like it's just there. <laughs> not sure if that's a good habit. Um, look, that's okay. Though. It's, a, it's. I don't recommend it. Um, I'm fine, but like, also not. Like, I wouldn't recommend. Everyone should go see a therapist. <laughs> don't do what I. Do. <laughs> Therapy. Therapy
1: is great. I recommend it as well. Yeah. But I completely empathize with you there because really, like, I think all of us, regardless of being in. diagnosed with chronic illness or disability or whatever it is that's that's a catalyst and a factor that can really you know cause an impact with mental health but everybody has challenges with mental health and we all I think get into routines where we don't prioritize it because it's something that's like oh I'll deal with that later I'll put that in the tomorrow box or you know I'll, I'll circle back when I need to and over time it just builds and builds and builds to a breaking point and you know, I know with fibromyalgia, I'm not mm. sure with the EDS, but that can really be set off by stress yeah. triggers um, and emotional triggers. And and it can be really, really disabling uh, when that gets sort of set off. Do you find, I mean, I know you said you're, you're sort of not the best with looking after your mental health, but do you do anything in particular that helps you to cope with those sorts of things? Or do you kind of just fly on the seat of your pants and manage it as you go as best as yeah, you can? Yeah, that's
0: pretty much been my approach for 25 years. Um, yeah, I take the Lexapro. <laughs> and because the thing was, I was taking the amitripline for migraines and and uh, the pain and off the amitripline. And then my mental health got really bad. And I was like, and because amitripline what is an antidepressant, and even though I was taking it for pain, it's still an antidepressant. And it was actually helping the OCD for like five years. And then I went off and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this isn't great. <laughs> so I think the, Lexa, yeah, so the Lexapro, I think is the first time I've taken medication just for like a mental health thing. Um, even though technically I was taking the Amitriple and I just didn't know that it was You'll doing it. anything. I yeah, so I guess that's the main thing.
1: How do you feel on those medications? Like personally, I've actually taken both as well. I did the opposite. I was Lexapro and then on to the amitriptyline. Um, yeah. And I take the amitriptyline for my um, FND and fibromyalgia pain and migraines yeah. as well, but low dose. So it does help with the, any depressive side of it. Um, did you experience any side effects on either medication and how did you manage mm. that?
0: So I've probably been on the Lexapro for just over six months now. Didn't notice anything. The amitripline is a little bit tricky because I started getting heart palpitations two and a half years after taking the amitripline Mm. and they did a bunch of tests and they were like, no, your heart's fine. And then two and a half years later after that, after taking beta blockers for those two and a half years to slow my heart rate down. I was watching Grey's Anatomy. Of and they were like, I'm yeah. And um they were like, I'm a tripling, causes heart palpitations. I was like, oh, does it? I didn't know that. Oh my gosh. And then I Googled it and I was like, Oh, it does. And then I that was the main one of the main reasons I went off the amitripline. And I went off the amitripline and the heart palpitations stopped within a week. But and I was like, oh, so it's it was the amateur plane the whole time. But then now I get heart palpitations again. So hard to know the amateur plane. Um, I don't know if it set off the heart palpitations or if it was the main cause because now I'm not on it and I don't and I still get heart palpitations. Mm, mm. I started getting them again. So that was the main thing at the time. But now I can't guarantee that was what it was if it was uh, you just raised because, that though because like I
1: actually didn't know that was a side
0: effect yeah and it's, it's and crazy. I got really yeah I got really annoyed because I wanted to a cardiologist I saw multiple That's doctors about this <laughs> and yes I it, and I didn't have a job because it was 2020 it was COVID oh my god <laughs> and um and then I was like did no one read the side effects of the medication like the one medication I'm on, and that's literally listed as one of the main side effects. And I was like, no one read it because, you know, whether the heart palpitations are caused by something else now or not, within a week of being off the plane, I didn't have to take any beta blockers and my heart palpitations stopped for about three months until they slowly built back up again. So I was like, did no, like no one. It's, why did I learn this off Grey's Anatomy? Like of all places, too. Like you <laughs> know,
1: some of me and my friends who have like medical knowledge, we watch these shows, and it's just like I can't believe they're doing that in these shows. But then every now and then you get these little nuggets, and you're just like fact check, Google, yeah. tell me is this real? I was
0: like, why? Why is? <laughs> This fictional (laughs) show.
1: Teaching me about my own. Reading me.
0: I'm like, isn't that what the specialist was for? But it's
1: such a common thing, though. Like, I know you said you don't take too many medications, it's mostly vitamins, but how often do you see that a GP will just throw you on a random medication without properly informing you about the pros and cons, the side effects? And even you go to the pharmacy and they don't always give you information now. Like, it's really challenging. And you know, something I experienced as well when I was growing up and going through my own diagnosis journey. So many doctors just put me on medications after medications and it ended up being that we were treating the side effects of the medications rather than the root cause of the problem, which sounds like what's happened there for you is they've gone, yeah, this will work for you perfectly. And then you've had a side effect from that medication, which they've added another medication to treat rather than reviewing the root cause of it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot like you know um, I think the only thing I was told about amitriptyline was it can possibly be addictive that was about it um, but my current doctor I'm seeing now she was like quite appalled because I was on the amitriptyline for five years and it was for migraines and she took me off it she's like well you've been on it for five years I want to see what happens if when off. you stop and I started getting a few migraines here and there and she's like okay like let's when you get a migraine i want you to drink 2 liters of water and then it like worked and she's like why did no one tell you to do like no one did the basics of migraine care with you mm-hmm. when you first started getting migraines they just put you on medication and i think
1: she's too. like i don't know why
0: anyone didn't do like basic migraine management no. with you well, I originally
1: think that's the struggle though like you've got to find a gp who has the knowledge about those things like it's common things that yeah. happen but so many of them don't know the basics and You've got the other side of it where say you're someone like us who we know our bodies really well, we come in, we say, this is all the problems, I've tried X, Y, Z. Um, They don't offer any additional suggestions and the medication is the fastest and easiest way to basically shut us up, Um, not necessarily treat us depending on the person you're working with. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of different things you can try for migraines. Sometimes they just don't work and medication is the best option. but yeah it's it's crazy though that it just you just don't get that holistic sort of look at the root problem see what's happening in that environment how we can try to fix things before escalating to medication you know it just doesn't happen yeah,
0: yeah i mean when i saw the cardiologist they did uh holter hold-to-mon- monitor holter monitor tests a echocardiogram and a stress test and everything was fine and he's like okay yeah it's obviously everything's really so, sad. like sorry yeah. my heart's not doing the thing while I've got a camera on me like yeah he he was just kind of like that's it and then me and I had just gotten diagnosed with EDS like a few months earlier and it is a symptom of EDS like heart palpitations so I was like my doctor and I were like oh could it be that and he's like yeah like he was just like okay yeah it's the EDS oh my gosh well it's the same thing but again. all he had to do was google triply. <laughs> Just Grey's Anatomies, man. That's what you got to watch. Just get, you'll really? get all your
1: medical answers from shows like that. Oh, my God. No. So I want to swing around as well and I want to discuss a bit more about your advocacy work because you mm-hmm. work with Champion um, like I do yeah. and obviously you're hosting this wonderful podcast, which I think yeah. is a great way to sort of pull a bit more out of people in a conversational, comfortable environment, which you do fantastically, you. might I add. Um how tell me more about how you got into advocacy and why you're passionate about
0: it? Um I think like it 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 did start with my diagnosis. Um like I didn't consider myself chronically ill or anything like that before my diagnosis, which technically doesn't make sense I had the exact same symptoms and everything. But I don't know like it's kind of hard to like it didn't feel valid and it was very hard to explain to people like what do I say oh, I have this symptom, this symptom, this symptom. They don't make any sense at all. Um, they're not connected in any way. I don't know what it is. Like, it, it just doesn't make, <laughs> doesn't make sense. Um, oh, I feel that. <laughs> like, it just doesn't seem valid without a name or anything. Well, that's
1: it. It's so hard, though, when you're going through diagnosis too because I'm in the same boat right now where I have some things yeah. diagnosed but there are things that don't match and still going through that. And it's like, how can I be a voice of advocacy when I myself don't 100% know what's going on? You know, I could be speaking on, let's I don't know, fibromyalgia, for example, and it might find out later down the track that it's not my fibromyalgia. And so, you know, the awareness I've raised on that might not be valid or relevant. But yeah. I guess, like, at the crux of it, though, you... Are still raising awareness and bringing attention to causes that are important and minorities of people who are suffering as a result of those conditions. And, um, you know, you've done so much good work in this space already and just continuing that advocacy is is such a, a strong thing to do, honestly, and to be able to put your story out on the line and speak openly about it, like it helps others.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a work in pro- um, progress, like I think it's not natural, like I don't think it's natural to speak about like basically the worst <laughs> things that happen to you, like especially on social media, which is very curated to like a mm. very perfect image, especially maybe like 10 years ago when Instagram and all that, or oh, whenever Instagram came around, I can't remember. Um, yeah, around everything then. <laughs> came around and like the rise of influences and everything, but I think we are starting to move away from that particularly on platforms like tiktok um and we are mm-hmm. starting to value more like openness i think online
1: i think authenticity is as a big draw card too because we've been conditioned to see so much fake um and people's curated realities. so it's a good word you just used um seeing the real side of things can be really hard and really confronting for some people but for others that is you know that's a draw card. That is. draw card. I found my people. that's that's a sense of community and belonging. Um, and it, you're right, it's not natural to put yourself out like that. But I think when people do, it's important, and we should listen. And yeah, you're you're giving people that voice and that platform, which is so fantastic in my opinion. <laughs> um, I suppose on that, how do you see the landscape of chronic health and disability advocacy? advocacy evolving in the future like what changes would you like to see um not just from that social media perspective but in the broader sense with medical care and um just societal attitudes
0: i think i would like to see people actually caring about disability and chronic illness i think if you go up to people on the street and say do you care about disability rights 99% of them are going to say of course like of course but the truth is and like this is going to be harsh but it's the truth like they don't they actually don't like Mm -hmm. they're not their CEOs their HR people their employees they're not hiring disabled people they're not giving them accommodations they're not making things accessible they're just saying like of course of course I care I'm gonna get angry when a young girl parks in the disabled park because I think she's not disabled enough. That's my advocacy. And it's like, no, like you, I actually don't, I think a lot of people actually don't care about us and it's just, they think they do. Like, I think they think they do, but they don't, they're not doing anything in their day-to-day lives that does anything to affect us. No,
1: I, I think that's a big thing too, because the, the, Misconception of what a disabled person is, again, is on a spectrum like many things are. You can be someone with an invisible disability like you and me, which can very quickly become visible. Like with EDS, if you have a dislocation or something like that, you need a walking aid or mobility aid. Um, for me, if I have a flare up of my FND, sometimes wheelchair, um, cane, different different things like that. Um, but then you have the other side where people associate as being disabled, which is full-time wheelchair users or people who have an obvious physical or intellectual disability or impairment. Um, And I think the advocacy around those sorts of things is so important to raise awareness that there is a spectrum of disability um, and that it doesn't fit into a cookie cutter analogy. And I think you're completely right around attitudes of people hiring and hiring positions. because there really isn't true flexibility in most workplaces to accommodate for disability. Um, You know, again, if you've got like a fatigue management issue, like what we have, having a full-time job is incredibly difficult. And I know you've recently transitioned back to full-time work Mm -hmm. as well. Like, how are you finding that?
0: Um, Not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm burnt out, (laughs) it's fun. Um, yeah, it's not good. It's it's not going to be sustainable for me long-term. I already know that. It's just about like, when do I transition? Like, when do I request to do part-time or what am I going to do to resolve that? And like kind of hanging on for as long so as possible. It's so hard. I think that stigma though too, like, I don't know about you, but I get really
1: bad anxiety mm. talking about that sort of thing. Yeah with my employer, like even just saying, Hey, I'm having a high pain day. Um, I'm not going to be on camera today for our meeting um, because I'm in bed. Like those conversations I find are really difficult to have.
0: Yeah. I think like two weeks in or like three weeks in, I was like, you know, I didn't tell you this, but like, I have a medical condition and I'm really struggling. And I was like, they literally might fire me like thinking they're going to fire me. She's like, why would I fire you? And I'm like, because you don't understand like most employers would be like, okay, well, we've really enjoyed having you here. um, Yeah, we're going to work you out of the system I don't think it's working.
1: (laughs) It's just performance management out is the struggle, I think. Like I've been performance managed out of, I think, two jobs I've had, um, which I really enjoyed. But I think the anxiety around sick days, calling in sick, requesting flexibility. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know about you, but personally I will like overachieve or overwork to try and prove my value or my worth at that job so that when I do need to call in sick I'm less likely to feel guilty about it
0: like I'm always tend to be quite a good employee and everyone likes like I pick things up really quick and I do think that helps but yet yeah, people still push you out once they figure out you're going to be too difficult well that's it you go in the too hard basket
1: you, you don't fit in with yeah. the monday to friday nine to five notion and i think it's been challenging as well watching the workscape change around covid because you know before covid flexible work and hybrid work were like miracle rare jobs and then suddenly overnight everything was and now so many places are trying to force people back into the workplace and these flexible opportunities are becoming difficult to come across or to to keep a hold of Um, you know, in your current circumstances, you're 100% work from home, aren't you?
0: No, it's hybrid, two days a week from, uh, from home. I think I could do completely from home, but it's not possible with that job. I think too, there's an
1: element of that social connection as well, being able to go into an office and see yeah. people and bounce off them. Do you think, how do you reckon you would go if you did convert to full-time work from home?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be amazing. I would love that. Um, that's like the dream. Like I do really like talking to people, but I also find like workplaces and corporate games. I'm going to call them games because I feel like it is games. Like I find it exhausting and I don't like it. Like I've gotten in trouble for my honesty in the past. Same. <laughs> people don't like People don't like it. And um, I, you know, like, I don't want to pretend to be nice to people that don't treat you with respect. <laughs> I don't want to, like, do, like, I if I like you and we get along, I will talk to you. But I don't want to do a little small chit-chat about, small like, Small talk's hard. I struggle with like, that too. I don't, I, I just don't. I just don't care. Like, I don't want to do it. And there's, like, can be a lot of games. So I think I would, like, remote and then I could just have a little schedule like I could do some yoga in the morning and sleep in and drink my coffee on the couch I just feel like it would be yeah, and enough. I guess
1: that way too you can you can change your day to suit your needs on that day yeah. um I find that yeah you know I I'm working from home full-time now I only recently transitioned from hybrid and it was a struggle um initially because I Feel that I can sometimes be more productive in environments when I have other people to bounce off. But by the same token, you can yeah. be less productive very quickly because you get caught up.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm less productive in the office. Yeah, 100%. I sit next to one of my team leaders and, like, the other day we talked yeah. for like two hours. It's like we didn't do no, anything. And well, that's I, think, the thing. I definitely get more
1: stuff you, done. You at can, home. but I think the struggle I have is just. You don't have someone that you can just bounce off really quick like if you come off a bad phone call or something happens you can't turn around and be like guess what just happened you kind of have to hope someone's available on chat or or, you know they have the time to take a call so there's there's pros and cons that come with everything i think and for people like us having that flexibility is the the major benefit and i think the the draw card and the biggest factor um that when you weigh your pros and cons up that comes into play um, I suppose on the other side of that too, you know, how do you find your social interactions have been since having your diagnosis? You know, you've had these things for life and you've struggled with them through your life, mm-hmm. but yeah. do you think it's impacted your relationships or friendships, um, since you've had those diagnosis applied?
0: Relationship and friendships? No, I think, yeah, like the biggest impact would be in the workplace, like people, I just find people in the workplace, they don't want your honesty. Like they want to talk to you, but they don't want to hear about how miserable you're. <laughs> like it just gets very awkward very quickly. They're like, oh no, you poor little disabled girl, terrible. Um, like head. it just gets, it just gets awkward. But I think in interactions everywhere else, it's fine. I think I am not awkward about it. And I, have seen that come across on other people that I've spent time with, whether it's like I go to an aerial class with them and I see them every now and then. And I have seen like other people start to talk about their chronic illnesses and disabilities more. I think it's only awkward and bad if you make, like I think if you just keep going on with it, you keep talking about it, whether you're joking about it, just making little comments about it, and, like, other people will catch on. And I think if they do, if they're still uncomfortable, they don't like it, then, like, don't hang around them.
1: I agree with that too. And I, I think too, you know, on that note, being open and honest about what's actually happening in your world helps other people interact with you even more, um, yeah. if anything. And I think if you're around people who are very close-minded and shut down conversation like that I mean look there's a time and a place for everything and I'm not saying yeah. that you know you shouldn't openly talk about these sorts of no. things because you absolutely should um, yeah. but there are some settings I suppose where it can make people more or less uncomfortable depending on yeah. the circumstances um, yeah. so I think you're right like opening up conversation and just talking about it which is what we're doing
0: here yeah, um, is, yeah it's, it's not like I go on, I don't go on like big spills, but like I, I'm very sarcastic, so I'll just, like, make jokes. Oh, look, dark humour is the only way to survive with chronic health issues, I man. And I just, or I'll just mention it, or I'll just be like, oh, I'm really tired today, or this. Like, very small comments about it, and I think people just get used to it, and I think, yeah, like I've 100% noticed people will then go, oh, it is okay to talk about, like, if she's talking about it.
1: It's Just fine. It opens the floor. It opens the floor yeah. for, for more conversation. And then you might learn something about them as well. You never know. Literally. I um have another one for you. What mm-hmm. advice would you give to other people on a diagnosis journey or who are struggling with the same or similar conditions to you uh, based on your own experience?
0: I think there's a couple things. I think the first thing is like you're not a doctor, but you know your body better than Anyone else, you know, like getting fibromyalgia diagnosis, like I knew that, yes, it matched, but it wasn't right because I knew that there was like like a million other things going on. And also like you've just got to press on. And I think it's really exhausting. Like it's exhausting having to go to multiple doctors and advocate for yourself. But like at this stage, that's unfortunately just what you have to do. You know, I basically, you know, EDS has a diagnosis criteria and when a rheumatologist refused to do it with me, I just found another doctor and was like, you're going to do this with me. And yeah, like he could have technically said no, though I wasn't really giving him much choice, but you just, you just kind of have to keep pushing on. And it, it sucks. Like it's not fun having to be basically your main provider of care you know, finding the right doctors and Googling and doing research. But I think you just got to advocate for yourself and know that you know yourself better than anyone, no matter how long they've spent in med school, or how much experience they have. And I think on
1: top of that too, like how much can you really know about someone based on a 15 minute consultation? You know, there's so many layers and I, I completely agree with you. You've got to sometimes just put your foot down. And I think um, one of the things that I found was actually from another person in the disabled community who I spoke to who said if you ask them to write down that they refuse to do something Mm. magically, they'll do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They don't want to admit, like, that they didn't try. Um, Yeah, it's just fortunate. I have found, like, and, you know, I know this isn't the case for everyone, I personally found that younger doctors, at least in GPs, are better I've found that older doctors, are like in GPs, they're just very close-minded. I think they've been seeing people with colds for 30 years. And now they're just like, they really do not expect anything rare or unusual at all. And I know that there's some great older doctors out there, but I personally have found that all the younger doctors I've seen have been the best doctors and they've been much more open-minded to other things and to doing research and learning even if they don't know exactly what you have or what it could be.
1: I have to agree with you there. I've had the same experience and I find even some of the older doctors I've engaged with, the ones that have been most helpful have been the ones that have been involved with learning, like ongoing learning, actively being involved in what's going on in their communities, um, you know, going back to do Different work with universities, things like that. Um, it's so hard to find a good doctor, though. Um, it can be really, really hard. And finally, to wrap us up, what are some of your current projects or initiatives related to chronic health and disability advocacy? Um, and how can listeners get involved
0: or support your work? So, obviously, I'm signed with Champion Health Agency and the amazing Anya. Um, and there's this podcast. Um, which I would love to get back to once a week at some point, although don't cross your fingers that it's gonna happen in the next couple of months. Um, you know, obviously, so like listening to the podcast, listening to people's stories, I think just listening to people in general is obviously something that you can do to support people with disability and advocacy in general. Um, and as a little like fun, side thing I just started doing chronically rosy which is at the moment just stickers <laughs> but like disabled themed items um and um my brain's just always going so I always doing stuff but I think yeah most of this podcast and you can find it Sigibit give it podcast and me I'm Remy underscore Rose on Instagram and on LinkedIn I've been trying to get into LinkedIn more <laughs> LinkedIn's
1: a fun place to to be. Hey, it is it's difficult to get an audience, but you it build. It,
0: it's just like such LinkedIn is such a good opportunity. Sometimes I hate it because it can be a bit cheesy, and I really hate <laughs> the cheesiness. But it, it's really good. Like I made a post about the podcast, and then two days later, it was in the news article like the podcast, and I know that they found it from that post. So I think LinkedIn. It's important to do networking. <laughs> it is i think
1: there was one other thing too that i saw recently on your linkedin we can buy you a coffee now
0: yeah you can buy us coffee now um i don't make money for the podcast (laughs) surprise um yeah you do not have to um we do have a buy me a coffee link if you would like to support the podcast you absolutely do not have to you know especially considering the economy um inflation (laughs) but if you would like to um You know, while at this stage, while the podcast is not making money, that would be very much appreciated.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Rami. It's been lovely talking with you as always. Um, What's next?
0: For me or for us? (laughs) You tell me. Uh, What's next is me me and is going to be on the podcast uh, occasionally as a host because we have good flow. We have good flow. (laughs) We do have good slide. Um yeah. Exciting. I feel like that's kind of the That's end. kind of the end. <laughs> also <reply. laughs>